quick and hot. Can I take your order, please? Yeah. Um, can I get a burger with four slices of cheese? Four burgers and anything else? No, sir? one burger with four slices of cheese. We can't do that. Just put four slices of cheese on a burger. We can't do that. There's no Who the fuck is this we, man? Who the fuck is this we? It's me and you. We're just people. Fucking listen to me. Fuck this corporate entity. Put four slices of cheese on the fucking burger. We can't do what that. What the fuck, you fucking idiot? Hey. Hey, look at me. Look at me. Because I'm a human being, you are a human being. Look at me. Look me in the eyes when you fuck me. Look at me. Please. Today is my first day. Fuck you. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen. Have your seat here. Your waitress will be with you immediately. You have just entered the hottest restaurant in town, The Niche. Here for another edition of Nick's Nonfiction with your host, comic Nick Munez. Nick's Nonfiction. Happy Thanksgiving to all my pilgrims and Indians out there. Today we have Eric Slosher's Fast Food Nation. This is one of Time's 100 best nonfiction books ever. It is an international bestseller. I know we have people overseas who listen to the show, and everybody, you go abroad, people are marveling at the size of us Americans. Our massive bone frames are just too much for their mind to handle. You know, two-thirds of us have ascended to another form of human size, a 600-pound life. We are, of course, going to get into the detriment of the American diet today, comparing it to the empires of the past and how disconnected Americans are to their food. This book, this author, is recommended by Anthony Bourdain. Eric Slosher, he weaseled his way into Mount Cheyenne. He went to fast food conventions, all for this book, detailing the rise of anywhere America. You go down every highway and it's commercial. You see the same exact four spots, like the rise of fast, casual poke, poke everywhere. 80% of the meat in the country comes from one source, monopolized meat, the goo men are trying to sell us this soy. China's buying soy. We could go on so many rabbit holes, so many rants here today. I want to keep it towards our culture of fast food that we have become. We have some sugar bucks in the near future regarding high fructose corn syrups and all that good stuff. We're keeping it simple today, enlightening all you emaciated Africans that listen, you Europeans that can't even compete in our eating in America is a competitive sport. Everyone around the globe is going to get to see into our diet. Let's do about the author Eric Slosher. He is an American journalist born in 1959. His dad was a wealthy Wall Street lawyer. And he was always moving back and forth from New York to L.A. I lived in L.A. for a little bit this year, and it really is fast food burger nation. That's where we're going to go through today, the birth of McDonald's. We have another book coming on the show called Jihadism versus McWorld. <laughs> you know, what is uh, terrorism really standing against? Is it this commercialization we've seen America go through with the Eisenhower highway system? That I read this other book called Blue Highways. We're doing Tangent Aplenty today. Blue Highways, this is about 
the highway system that is not taking national subsidies. They had all of these types of restaurants that were one of a kind, and we are selling that out. We are bringing it over to the Middle East, the Middle Eastern Paul Revere right now going, McDonald's is coming, McDonald's is coming. (laughs) Eric Slosher doesn't know too much about that. He self-published this book, and it blew up like wildfire. It was 2004, right around the time of the Super Size Me documentary. Parents were taking action at that time against child advertisement. For 30 years, it went unvetted. In 2003, Eric Slosher wrote Reefer Madness, another bestseller. This one is about, we're going to have to read it, 10% of the U.S. GDP is porn and weed. You could be a very profitable man getting into those industries. 2013, he wrote Command and Control. This one is about Damascus. I know nothing about that. I'll stick to my wheelhouse. We'll have to read that Reefer Madness book. Slosher, he toured the country, he toured Europe for this book. Very inflammatory ideas coming up. I feel for everybody, though. If there's like a fat shaming today, I have been 230 pounds and I have been 150 pounds. I have what you would call an eating disorder. I feel for, I've been watching fed up all these sugar documentaries. I was a nutrition major as I started in college, probably just because I was obsessed with my body dysmorphia. In these documentaries, you see these little girls that are, they see in the magazines, these beautiful women that are just photoshopped and they're saying, how do I get to that size? I'm doing the special K diet. I'm doing all this stuff that Nabisco is showing me. And it's not working. It's fucking heartbreaking. This is seriously the issue that could save more lives than radical jihadism, any terrorism, any flus. Seriously, if we could get our diets right in America, it would improve everybody's standard of living. I've gone off sugar for many periods of time, and that's invariably when I feel the best all in today's show. It's 11 chapters. Let's get into it. Chapter 1, The Founding Fathers. The story today, it really takes place in Colorado Springs. That's the epicenter for Slosher's narrative. And it really is a tiny America. It has one of the highest centralized fast food per capita in the nation there. And Slosher weaseled his way into Mount Cheyenne, which is one of the 14ers in Colorado. It's one of the highest peaks in America. Within it is the Nuclear Center Missile Command for all of North America, 1,500 people occupy this mountain at every time. It's it's crazy living there to think that there are people inside those mountains. That always makes me laugh. There's a nuke in that mountain over there. <laughs> Slosher said they have a gym, a dentist, a barber shop, a cafeteria, and tens of millions of gallons of water to last through multiple apocalypses. It's airtight. It's a nuclear base. This is where we would launch everything from. It's in the center of America. This book is about fast food. These guys who work in there, the 1,500 people every single night, a Domino's delivery driver is taking uh, meat lovers into the crust of the earth. He's saying fast food has infiltrated our dumbs, our deep underground military bases. (laughs) Every nook and cranny like a good syrupy waffle. He brought up in this first chapter how the Roman Republic was fed by citizen farmers. And the Americans right now couldn't be more... We buy our meat on little styrofoam slabs with cellophane over it and this pink shit. And it's really creepy how we get our food. We'll get into factory farming in later chapters. 
Slosher was saying in 1973, the hourly wage peaked <laughs> in the history of the U.S. labor force. And today, half of an average American's disposable income is used at restaurants, not even to buy at food, like going out to eat. It's the biggest expenditure for most people. Even worse, in 2020, with these instant delivery apps, there's nine. DoorDash, Postmates, fuck, whatever, man. There's so much shit that you could just shove down your throat. Think about it. No time in history could an able-bodied man quit his day job to schlep food. And I don't even know if I would consider all of it food, so he's a schlop schlepper. There were over, when he wrote this, 10,000 McDonald's in the U.S. We're over 15K now. And at the time, it was also the country's number one employer. <laughs> I had someone comment on one of my memes recently. A fry cook job is not meant to sustain a living. Well, when 20% of our population, 80 million people, have uh, food service jobs, what do you say, What are these magical jobs that they're going to go do? We might as well start paying these people something they could live off of. Dunkin' Donuts, they go through 50,000 employees a year. You know that guy Howard Schultz? He's going to try to run for president eventually. He built his empire on running assembly lines, not HR, pay your people a livable wage. Schlosser is saying, we ate a lot of French fries when I was living with the guys at Mount Cheyenne. What even is a French fry? It's like a a piece of your shoelace deep fried soaked in butter and then rolled around in salt (laughs) long way for that comparison but really what is most of the stuff is not even food but it tastes good i'm thinking about it so much right now i might have to get fries on the way home he talked about a lot of the preservatives put in these foods are made in those goliath factories that you see pumping out the smoke along like the jersey turnpike We'll get into it deeper. He's saying how all of these preservatives, the fast food franchises, have subsidies from the state, some as much as a 40% tax break. And we wonder right now still why small business is dying. Drive around your city. Wherever you live, one part of your town is being gentrified, and they have the pokey bowl place. (laughs) And there's one place that looks like it's being eaten alive by cancer and the Things are boarded up. Who is being subsidized right now in the biggest depression since 1920? Hands behind the scenes. I know I'm going hidden agenda right now, but seriously, go to your food store. 80% of the products in this mega store have sugar placed into it. It's usually for preservatives to make it last on the shelf longer. It's poison. It's straight up Soylent Green. For the latter half of the chapter, he took us to the history of fast food. Carl Catcher was the father of fast food, they call him. He coined that phrase, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Northern Ohio farm boy, and he moved to Anaheim the same time, the same exact year that the KKK started a chapter out there. You know those racists like a hot dog after a hard lynching. This was his guinea pig group he was seeing how fast he could pump out burgers to the Klansmen (laughs) I shit you not during his meantime he was working at like pet food stores nowhere else that you could start a restaurant in LA at the time that's when the peak of Hollywood they were doing their gentrification pretty hard Carl Catcher borrowed $311 from the Bank of America and he started a hot dog stand People are like, well, you can make money doing that. 
bada bing bada boom new york city you got hot dog stands i mean this isn't the inventor of fat think about you went to a joust in medieval times some guy was selling a leg of mutton we love to think we invented stuff in america 1950 <laughs> food is uh starting to revolve around the automobile so 10 years before that we knew that we can make it fast 1950s they're like use this car to make every dollar possible sonic type of uh drive-ins become the hot thing chicks on roller skates 1940s was the first golden arches slosher dropping truth bombs he said in the 50s gm and other executives secretly plotted and carried out the destruction of america's light rail network that's the charge they were held guilty for and they were all fined one dollar each some conspiring for you think about it we could have like light rails we could be like japan going to any city you want within four hours no we have to sell people fast food while they pay for our hotels and shit on highway bumfuck america it's not even like those people you go live in Plainview, texas colorado junction whatever these like flyover towns where you're stopping in those mom and pop people who have a farm can't even sell their own livestock because mcdonald's gets the best spot next to the gas stations you know it's the definition of micromanagement which we'll get into our behind the counter chapter in 1948 william rosenberger and his brother dropped out at 14 years old they were seeing this craze and they started what is known as dunkin donuts go up to boston that is duncan town harlan sanders familiar name he left school at 12 years old he was a farmhand and he started selling insurance door to door in corbin kentucky he bought around spice samples getting people to remember his look white suit he moved all the way to utah with his secret recipe and in 1952 he had no more money to promote it eight years he spent there until 1960 dressing as a colonel on the streets of utah and then kfc finally popped off in 1960 there's all of these old chains. I'm calling America Burger Town in the 50s. There was Queen Burger, Yummy Burger, Twisty Burger, Biff Burger, Burger Boy. What a burger. <laughs> we are. That is America, baby. We claim to have invented the hamburger. I remember seeing when I was a kid on the History Channel, there was a special. They did a somehow filled 22 minutes of airtime about how we created the hamburger here in America. No one thought of putting chopped meat on some bread. By 1970, there were 3,000 McDonald's, 50 to 70, giant boom and all this fast food. All those guys were cashing out. Oil crisis happened in the 70s. It kind of took a stumble. Carl's Jr. started up around that time, and the SEC took them down for holding McDonald's stocks. So maybe, you know, some of the owners of these multinational corporations own the other chains like a monopoly. And they're supporting each other, always trying to keep the little man out. And when Carl's Jr. took that hit, they started a taco shop in Anaheim, made $70 million their first year, turned that into Taco Bell. It was truly open season, 50, like when America did some of its biggest period of growth. A lot of that is contributed to trans fats. Chapter 2, Your Trusted Friends. <laughs> did anybody else growing up? I mean, I can't believe some of this shit is true. Maybe I had a fever dream as a child, but we had a 500 people in my elementary school. One day, they call everybody down to the auditorium. They light the stage perfectly, draw back the curtains, and who 
did we gather 500 young minds to hear? Ronald McDonald. We got the speech from the McDonald's clown. I remember his crowd work bit. It stayed with me. I don't remember the message that he wanted to get across, but he came out and he's like, people like to make fun of me. I wear shoe polish on my face. You know, I'm a clown. I always say, so what? I got big feet. So what? He pointed to a kindergartner. Your mommy stinks. My mom stinks. So what? He pointed to someone in the back, a fifth grader. Dude, your burgers kill as many people as ISIS and Al-Qaeda combined. So what? Wait, what? Why are we fucking indoctrinating our kids with that? I mean, nowadays you're getting a transvestite to come in and talk about reading time in these public libraries. I think I would take the Ronald McDonald over that. (laughs) Maybe not all the fucking food issues. I don't know, man. There's in Illinois, it's running strong, Hamburger University. This is where McDonald's breeds their managers. In 2020, it's a lot of immigrants come here, go to Hamburger U. It's meant to look like an embassy. Slosher went there for the book. He says it looks like a prison. It's a training course. It's two weeks, and then you can manage a McDonald's. We had people in my town manage multiple McDonald's. There was this girl who... um in my town growing up she used to tell me my dad owns subways and i was like where do they connect and we never understood what each other was saying and she's like no he owns a subway sandwich shop <laughs> i've never eaten a five dollar footlong jared touches kids i do not support that most franchises now they'll train you for up to six weeks hamburger you it's a conveyor belt of pumping out managers and their main focus there is employee motivation it's interpersonal lessons you could teach anybody to flip a burger they got flippy that burger bot in california who's putting out like ten thousand fry cooks (laughs) i want a guy sweating on my burger and to flip it with his own hands that's how you know it's made with love i'm not really sure how slosher drew this connection he was saying the hamburger university the whole system reminded him of disney And a couple of the McDonald's guys who were with uh, Ray Kroc and whoever the McDonald's guy was, they dropped out. They wound up founding Disneyland University. It was Richard Kroc and Ray McDonald. My bad. There's all those McDonald's movies out. You could probably, it's probably propaganda. He made some bad moves in the beginning. They turned down a milk partnership, which cost them like $50 million. The point is you could get rich in these countries in the friggin' heartland here, baby, see to shining sea. If you could work out a tiny milk deal, if you could sell wholesale straws to Cadoba, you will be a millionaire too. Ray Kroc knew some of those Disneyland guys, and they let him run food stands in the early park. Disney also was picking up partnerships with Aunt Jemima, Stouffer's. Think about Happy Meals. This is how Ray Kroc ran away with it. Him and all the Disney guys, they had mutual mentors, so they learned if you can make people emotional about what they consume, you have them hooked. This is what I'm saying. It's straight up evil. It is MKUltra. It's reverse psychology to get somebody they called a love mark in my advertising education. And if you could get onto someone's heart, if you really make them feel good when they eat something a dove chocolate they smile they will buy that forever impulsively you will drive to the store at the behest of your subconscious will to attain this addiction sugar more addictive than cocaine we're going to get into that into the next more scientific book 
So those two companies, Mickey D's, Disney, are really close. They passed a bill together, which was called the McDonald's bill. It allowed 16- and 17-year-olds to be paid 20% below the minimum wage. And this is how all those dine-ins got started. Disney, they learned how to minimize their menu. It's about output. If you try to be a manager at any sort of franchise, they're telling you throughput is the new treat your customers like they are another number like just get more people through the store it costs more and with the help of this uh mcdonald's bill there's all of these union busters now kids were being able to pay less it's how all the shit grew at such a substantial speed in the 40s there were federal contracts keeping disney afloat 90 percent of their animation contracts came from the government so maybe you're saying CIA influences Hollywood movies or maybe you're saying they paid for the animatronics to be pioneered you ever look at those old videos of Disney's building some like alien level shit they have the Hall of Presidents the old one they have those bots now that are doing acrobatic skills it's more advanced than Boston Dynamics Disney used to make 10 million dollars a day in the parks is that still enough to be building these robots that are smart enough to colonize Mars? <laughs> Where are they getting all this funding? Slosher went deep. He mentioned Warner Von Braun in the 1950s, who this guy ran a rocket factory in Nazi Germany. He hung the slowest Jews to make examples out of them. Real bad dude. Didn't get tried at Nuremberg. We drafted him over here, Operation Paperclip. Warner Von Braun in the 50s helped direct Disney films and designed Tomorrowland. You know, the place with all the rockets. He's designed in the future, a little cryptic. I'll go real deep on you real quick. Fucking chapter two. Fluoride was first put in the water supplies in Nazi concentration camps, and then they introduced that in America when we bought all of those scientists over here. They said it made the prisoners more docile. 60s, McDonald's. They took the Disney love mark over. They start introducing Ronald McDonald's. They bought him to my school. I used to have these videos, like the Halloween McDonald's gang. And these are some of the best fictional characters in all of cinema, all of literature. You got Grimace, the purple oaf. He had so many layers as a character. I mean, the Hamburglar. This guy had the best bit ever. He dedicated his life to stealing cheeseburgers. And then there's Mayor McCheese. That guy is more righteous than JFK. All of that stuff. Slosher's trying to draw the connection. They were able to use those characters to get into people's uh, routines. My grandpa, my great-grandpa, one of my only memories with this man, he used to take me and my sisters to McDonald's. That is an American anecdote. Slosher said it went a little bit too far. In 2000, McDonald's ran a campaign called Email Ronald Your Favorite Menu Item. And this woke up a lot of parents. They're like, wait, my child is emailing a clown without my permission? <laughs> but it really took it to another level. Like, why are they indoctrinating my kid with sugar and really addictive stuff that's going to ruin their brain and hormones forever? And the Child Online Private Protection Act of 2001 was passed saying you're not allowed to market to kids online. This definitely didn't work. <laughs> I mean, me and my sisters would play Pillsbury, 
Does anybody remember that? It was an online world built around selling cereal to miners. You would play little mini games as the le- as the Lucky Charms guy, as the Bugs, the Tricks Rabbit. <laughs> Straight up, that Child Protection Act didn't work. We had the fucking personal pan pizza thing in elementary school. If you read, they would give you an entire pizza. <laughs> Maybe that's what tangled those addictions in my mind. <laughs> really deep shit. Slosher bought up how now in Colorado Springs, some schools on the lockers have Burger King advertisements. Let's end it on the best point. Proctor and Gamble are now trying to make deals with Lifetime Learning to provide the textbooks to schools. McDonald's history. When you start reading other independent history books, you learn the way uh, history gets repeated. It's all cyclical. I stole my whatever it was called McGregor history book in high school because I just knew, dude, something felt off. Your bullshit meter's going crazy. The Gulf of Tonkin was a one-day event where a tiny Vietnam raft started the war and fired on a aircraft carrier. None of it's real. Procter and Gamble owns our children's textbooks. <laughs> I'm gonna just be a history teacher and make shit up. In the year zero, Mayor McCheese saved Ireland from the potato famine, and McDonald's cured the earth of the bubonic plague. That is the culture. We're getting into Act Two of the book. We'll pick up speed. Chapter Three: Behind the Counter. Slosher started going on about the subdivision housing committees. Invading Colorado Springs, they're popping up these highways that look indistinguishable from anywhere in the country. Colorado Springs, it has four times the land of Denver with one-fourth of the population. Some people call it Little London for all of the greasy food they got there. And the royal family, if you didn't know this one, owns a shitload of land around there. It's connected to Denver International Underground. Go look into that, all the shit yourself. I bet in the Hyperloop tube underground there's a McDonald's stop. Slosher said a million people from California moved to Colorado every single decade. 100,000 people every single year. So along with that big influx of people comes a boom in fast food. Burger King and Pizza Hut were the first people to uh, revolutionize the conveyor belt for standardization and cooking. That's a huge thing. They want every bite to taste the same. You know what you're getting. That's the bad stuff. If you're eating New York pizza, you're a Jersey boy myself. You know you got to have the double zero flour. You need not even a brick oven pizza does it right. You need just a cast iron, a convection oven you're getting the perfect crust there. A little doughy, little crisp around the crust. None of this conveyor belt shit. Average turnover rate behind the counter is 300%. Nobody is staying at these jobs for more than a year. The average assistant manager salary at these franchises was $20,000. That is below the poverty line. You're not paying the person next to the manager. So the guy who does most of the work, not just create the schedule this guy gets paid you know we're not really taking care of any of these people slosher talked about how teens run most of it in uh, colorado springs and is this really where you want your kids spending their time where do you think a child should be they spend half their time at home half their time at school 
Where's why you're gonna see some fucked up shit when you worked at these places at McDonald's? You're seeing the hobos come in day after day, no shoes, losing their mind. It's going to wear on them. I worked at a coffee shop on 16th Street in Denver, and I worked with a couple young kids. One of the kids was trying to be a pilot. He was going to school there, and he had to take a couple weeks off because he saw somebody jump off the parking deck across from the shop. So they had to close the shop for the rest of the day because there were brains on our sidewalk. They covered it with it. He told me the whole story. Really disturbing shit. Is this really where you would put the trust of your child to be. And I know there's different generations of parenting. Tell them to go get some dirt on their hand. These jobs suck your fucking soul out. It gets you thinking in a minuscule circuit where you develop ADHD. <laughs> Dude, it's not good for you. It's fun to have a little bit of uh, money in your pocket and all that. That's a good lesson to teach your kids at what cost. Weeks after that suicide in Denver, there was a copycat down the block another guy jumped off a building you don't that shit the negativity is viral being in those environments behind the counter it's a very respectable job i've slept at chipotle i've had more i feel like i've worked every job in the world if your kid bugs out as most teens do about acne if they're working at a fast food joint they're going to be breaking out like crazy slosher was against it he ended the chapter on the Tricon Global Restaurant Committee, just a big old political action committee that busts up the strikes, makes sure that all of the McDonald's stay separate, all the workers can't unionize. This one industry owns 30,000 Pizza Huts, Subways, Taco Bells. That is the antithesis of decentralization behind the counter. Won't be changing much soon. Chapter 4, Franchise. Being a franchise is a mix of running your business and somebody else's. The banks are usually more eager to loan out to these because you could default on these businesses too. Like I'm saying, it's all supported by whoever wants to see McDonald's grow more. McDonald's, their franchise legal name is Consortium Members, Inc. And so this is when you sue them. It doesn't come up as, man, sues McDonald's for rat head and Happy Meal. It comes up as Consortium Members Inc. under fire for rodent in meat. There's all these crazy tricks to keep the people from unionizing, yada yada. Working man chapter. Subway was founded on a $1,000 family loan. It uh, little started as a tiny shop in Connecticut. Now 50% of the franchises are run by immigrants, like that girl I ran up with. I'm saying these people think this is their ticket. You come to America and you own a... Uh, own a shop be a shop owner but again you're getting paid below the poverty line not even the managers you don't get free food as a manager you have to be like a district manager which are there are a couple hundred of in the country it currently costs a hundred thousand dollars to open up a subway which is the lowest of any fast food chain it's getting less attainable for the immigrants that come over 1996 755 and a hundred of them we're relying on government financing. You get that $100 loan from the bank, where does it come from? We learned in Liar's Poker, it gets loaned out by the Fed. So the Fed is not going to help me run Munez's Marvelous Muffins. It's going to only support me if I want to make a McDonald's. Make America. That was franchise. Chapter 5, Why the Fries Taste So Good. 
We are heading up to Aberdeen, Ohio, a town of 200, home to the biggest spud plant in the universe. A sugar beet farm bodies up to it, and all of the high school kids, they are reminded, I don't want my future to be on the farm, while the other half is just eating all the sugar beets. In our next book, we go over sugar factories. Sugar beets are really big in England. That's why you England twats got the messed up mouth. You got all the bad teeth from all your sugar beets. The Aberdeen, Ohio Potato Factory Runs 24 hours a day, 310 days a year. It has a parking lot full of pickup trucks under a giant American flag. The Simplot family took over this farm. Not a simple plot of land. They own 80,000 acres, over 100 square miles. They took advantage of the Snake River Reclamation Project, which was... The town was trying to make a redirect of the river, and so, of course, they had excess. They didn't want there to be floods, so they start giving free water to the Simplot family's potato plant. This plant opened six months before World War II, and they started farming onions for the boys overseas. (laughs) Dude, imagine that. You are about to storm Normandy. It's D-Day. And your final meal is freeze-dried onions? The Simplot family, they branched out to Oregon and California, have 31 plants, over a 1,000 heads at every single plant. The 1950s was considered the golden age of food processing because a majority of people finally had refrigerators. So the 50s was one of the big takeovers when we saw every single food came in plastic. In 1965, McDonald's switched to frozen fries, and most companies followed suit. You know, nothing is fresh anymore. Everything is defrosted, dunked into oil. Taco Bell, they don't even make food. (laughs) If you, like, the cooks have to sign NDAs. They have powder that turns into meat. Disgusting. Cheesy Gordita Crunch tastes amazing. We just had a technical malfunction I cut out at some point talking about Taco Bell meat. A life-changing topic. The chapter we were on was why the fries taste so good. It's all about like the smell senses. Smell is 90% of what makes your taste buds active. You know, you do that thing, you hold your nose, take a gulp of medicine, and it doesn't taste as bad. We got all those Ben and Jerry, you know, the flavor scientists... They're trying to make the perfect smell. I had a smell factory in my town growing up. And every week was a different flavor. It was usually bubble gum. There was toffee. Caramel was the really good weeks. It smelled like chocolate and neighborhood wide. This place was Willy Wonka's factory. Not aesthetically pleasing. It looks like they murdered babies inside. In the 1960s when we were figuring out this smell science. Like you drive by Burger King. It smells great outside of it. They said... The FDA made a rule where you were allowed to synthesize flavors that didn't resemble natural food. It's like in the future, we're probably going to be giving our kids Willy Wonka, Tide Pod flavor, Laffy Taffy, circuit board flavored nerds, bro. Whatever it is, you are allowed to make the most chemically addictive molecules and just feed it to people, disguise it as food. It's a science. In that Fed Up documentary, they talk about 
the bliss point and there's a certain amount certain amount of sugar added to every menu except for like the salad maybe i bet there still is some slimy dressing on the salads every there's sugar in every menu item and it's measured to the amount where it's not too sweet it's just to use as an addictive property we're gonna head over to chapter six home on the range Hank was a cattle rancher 20 miles south of Colorado Springs. Eric Slosher went to spend some time with him down there. This is on the flat irons of Colorado. You're still 5,000 feet in the air, so the soil isn't great for farming. It's windy as all hell. You got to raise livestock here, and it's like the high country of the Andes Mountains in Argentina. There's great beef. Hank was a real ethical farmer. He had four separate rotating plots for his cows and in the last 20 years half a million ranchers sold their cattle and their estate slosher was saying something like the suicide rate for ranchers is three times the average and this guy was living the he wasn't working at the warehouse just killing animals all day he was a real cowboy herding his steer doing his thing and Hank wound up taking his own life he was buried with all of his animals on the farm it's not what it used to be all these uh people are getting bought out of by that 84 percent meat owned by one person you look at a chicken nugget 80 percent of it is filler it's not even meat so the need for it is down all of this soy shit that China's trying to sell us and makes men grow nipples it ups your estrogen don't eat all that fake experimental stuff just eat a real hamburger that's what Bourdain said his favorite thing was you get fresh meat just fresh anything with a little salt and pepper is going to be better than anything processed you learn that when you're home on the range chapter 7 cogs in the great machine slosher takes us up to Greeley Colorado a city that could be smelled before it is seen some of the biggest slaughterhouses in America are in this town, one where a billion burgers are packed a day. Dude, I got to call up the hamburglar. <laughs> he told me he's retired. Maybe he's up for one last heist, a billion burger joint. And they don't have much crime in Greeley, Colorado. Not a lot of poverty, drugs, homelessness. It's a real-ass town. Conagra Meat Company is what's been taking it over, commercializing it. They have the biggest factory. They hold their cows for three months before slaughter. They're not allowed to roam. They're kept shoulder tight, fed alfalfa, and I think it was sugar coat, like stuff to really fatten them up before harvest. It's not an ethical Hank <clears throat> Hank H4. Slosher got to visit this factory. Uh, he was doing some like Upton Sinclair, The Jungle. Remember that book you probably had to read for school? They would just push fingers that were severed into the hot dog hole on the floor that was made into ground meat he said there were thousands of employees within one square mile it smelt disgusting <laughs> a lot of the scraps that couldn't be used like blood bones and you know innards scrap meat all was made into dog food in 1979 the workers in Greeley tried to go on strike Conagra took the chance. They decided to fire all those people, say no unions are allowed, hired an entire new crop of workers at a 40% pay cut. <laughs> where else are you going to work in Greeley, Colorado? It's like up in the middle of nowhere. you got to take the jobs where you can. They took that calculated risk as the administrators. 
little man loses Conagra wound up getting in trouble for watering down their cattle feed so it would weigh more just like water weight <laughs> they're cheating every corner they can let's go to chapter 8 the most dangerous job this is about Slosher's tour of the meat factory and it looked just like the potato factory you got your supercomputer machines conveyor belts except for it wasn't potatoes on those belts it was red chunks of living flesh the workers looked busy that thousand workers within one square mile of floor space they're wielding wizard-like tools like you ever seen those knives that have rotating blades it's a fucking handheld chainsaw some people had these two-handed weed whacker looking things to trim down big carcasses some of the workers were sweating even though the place is kept freezing cold all around the factory they have those like classic meat hooks with giant cattle carcasses flying around like rocky used to train you get to punch it in this factory the cows hit back slosher said he got sick when he was there it stunk of manure you couldn't stand anywhere where the floor wasn't constantly draining blood and the cattle the meat chunks on the conveyor belt it was as hot as a hundred degrees this is fresh dead flesh that they're working with and there was one position we're going to take it dark before we get light again there was the sticker one guy stands in one spot with a boning knife and he cuts the cattle of every throat that comes by something like 600 a day and if you don't hit it in exactly the right spot the jugular it doesn't bleed out right you hear a blood curdled like a wookie <laughs> and then there was the knocker same job but with a piston gun kill an animal every 10 seconds see what that does to your psyche day after day this guy was saying the ones that stick out are the animals that look you in the eye some of them it's cattle to slaughter they don't know what's happening it's just a dumb cow but some of them sorry man you're part of the herd you're getting piston to the prefrontal cortex really tough shit the suicide rate at the slaughterhouse was five times the human average and the injury rate is three times higher than the united states military slosher dropping bombs again He's saying this job is more dangerous than 95% of military occupations. Thank you to your service. Say thank you to a butcher next time you see him. He said as of 2020, one-third of meat packers are in a union. Obviously, he'd like to see it over half. Um, but you're dealing with some real dangerous shit. You better hope you got health care. You have high-pressure water hoses. They have chlorine water that shoots at 180 degrees out the head of a pin a fucking lightsaber man you are dealing with like lasers to cut meat oh my god okay it gets darker i forgot there was one thing called the dehiding machine you can imagine what this does it makes leather it'll make you a wallet out of a cow one day three men slipped into the dehiding machine this is a nightmare and the factory was fined fifteen hundred dollars <laughs> five hundred dollars per man Excuse me, Mrs. Rodriguez, we're calling from the Conagra Beef Factory. Yeah, we skinned your husband this afternoon. We got a $500 check coming in the mail. Really dark shit, man. Human lampshades coming out of Conagra Beef. <laughs> 
one guy he talked to had his arm lopped off on the conveyor belt line, and he only got a $30,000 severance package, severed more than $30,000 worth of productivity. He can't work anymore. You know what I'm saying? These are some real dangerous jobs. It's a death factory. Chapter 9, What's in the Meat? Don't ask, don't tell. 1997, a six-foot man, a 200-pound man, died from a Mexican restaurant's taco in Pueblo, Colorado. Who would win in a fight? Let's put some bets down. This 200-pound man versus this soft-shelled taco. The meat had gone bad. It was a case of E. coli. He went to the doctor, told him, You're just experiencing the summer flu. Your bloody stool should pass, like it always does. He died on the toilet like Elvis. This is when the E. coli scare really popped off. Food poison leaves long-term effects, like some people get neurological issues from it, kidney damage, permanent IBS, autoimmune disease. 200,000 cases a year of food poisoning pop up in the U.S. The CDC is still trying to catalog all the different types of E. coli. 7.5% of beef naturally has salmonella in it. You just got to cook it out. E. coli is like... um. It comes from prions, which is we were talking about before. Those beef companies keep the cattle shoulder locked for three weeks. You're in a cell in a little pen where you can't move. These cows eat their own shit. And what do they get when they do that? Mad cow disease. And then you eat a cow with mad cow disease. And this is the scariest thing. You get prions in your brain it's like early onset alzheimer's little worms eat all the neural connections in your brain that you have been making there's like these natural mechanisms your brain has it's going if you're gonna eat poop meat i guess i have to make you crazy (laughs) legalized jenkum slosher was saying to stay away from ground beef it has around a hundred different cows mixed into one package that's a, just a bad gamble. Like one in a trillion cows has the mad cow disease. You're upping your odds exponentially every time you eat confetti meat. A kid once got E. coli from crawling on the carpet of a McDonald's playpen. And what did we just learn it comes from? Feces. So they're not really taking the best uh, hygienic care of these McDonald's restaurants. That should be a surprise to nobody. E. coli could be dormant in your shite for up to two months. That's why people were always used to get sick, dysentery in the Middle Ages. You could throw your pot of poop out your window, and it just lands on some guy's head. Oops, sorry. Shitty day. We are a lot less clean currently than we think. It's only going to get worse now. You see impossible meat, all these fillers around every corner. Let's go back to the smell thing with, uh, like, tofu. As long as you have meat flavoring in that tofu, it could taste identical, but the texture is what throws you off. You know if you're eating fake meat when the texture is different. You have a chicken nugget, it doesn't taste like a steak, it's supposed to be a little bit tough. Just look out for yourself out there. (laughs) I'm calling the boob thing. Mark me down for that conspiracy, I'll put 10 bucks on it. The frogs are growing boobs from impossible meat. Let's go to chapter 10, our second to last global realization. Could use one of those right now. Slosher went to Plauen, Germany, a town just outside of Berlin. They sold uniforms to the Allies and the Axis. 
They witnessed the battle of fascism and communism, whatever you want to call the different sides, during the Cold War. And what they said in Plow in Germany, they really saw it give rise to, was consumerism. Yeah, we're so different from the Russians. They're Soviet. We're, we're both consumerists that have fast food on every single corner. Plauen was a what's called a free Juden town where all of the Jews could retreat to. They received a pardon. They just weren't racist in this town in Germany. And so, USA 1945, top of the class, the best of our act. We showed up to Plauen, Germany, free Juden town, dropped 2,000 tons of explosives on the city. <laughs> they got a clean wipe, but that's when all the consumerism kicked off. We'll revisit there. Slosher was talking about McDonald's during that Cold War period. Expanded to 117 different countries. <laughs> the Iron Curtain was really just the curtain we needed to draw back to insert Ronald. This is where I learned how Dachau Concentration has a uh, a McDonald's. <laughs> Who's walking around the visitor center thinking I could really use a Big Mac. I used that in my act. We talked about it in the Yelp review a little bit. It's fucking insane, man. Again, Slosher saying fast food has infiltrated underground military bases. We can't go through a Holocaust tour without needing some tendies. <laughs> it's so wild. Slosher's craziest experience in his research came not at a concentration camp, not at the New Jersey Turnpike, not at Mount Cheyenne, at the Vegas Mirage Hotel. Some gluttonous things could happen here. There's a five-story volcano, a shark tank, a dolphin tank, a secret garden, an indoor forest. Slosher witnessed a fast food convention. In this part of the book, anybody that's read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, <laughs> Hunter S. Thompson goes to a cop convention on every conceivable drug in Las Vegas. Slosher, the health nut, went to the McDonald's convention. <laughs> he was uh, he got really disrespectful with it. I don't want to drag anybody through the mud. I said before, me and my grandpa, the only memory I have with my great-grandpa is McDonald's. He was like, these people are fucking buying tickets from around the world to see Mayor McCheese. This shit has infiltrated people's rational brain. Crazy scene he painted. Read the book if you want to hear about that. 1997, Gorbachev. The Russian leader appeared in a Pizza Hut commercial. Political leaders are taking sides. I didn't mention it before in the whole Disney McDonald's deals. McDonald's paid them for product placement. And maybe this is happening nowadays. Like Donald Trump is holding uh, dinners in the White House and catering it with McDonald's. All started with Gorbachev. Loved Pizza Hut. This is when it picked up during this globalization period that we saw. You go around the world. I've been to Tesco's in the UK, and they have um, an America aisle. And it's all like Pop-Tarts, Nutella, just the most sugary crap. And like I said before, most American foods are spiked with sugar, 80%. Slosher got back on his soapbox saying this isn't how we want to brainwash our kids. A Big Mac has 25 grams of sugar in it. Your daily value is 40 grams. Do that a couple times a week. You'll never get on the right track. We're starting everyone off on the wrong foot. Hook them young. This was the strategy with nicotine lobbies and cigarettes. And we're allowing our kids to be advertised to Joe Camel in the form of Ronald McDonald. You've seen the old, there's uh, SS buildings in Germany near Plauen. 
that have been turned into McDonald's. We traded in the nasty swastika for the golden arches. <laughs> Slosher said the most happening place in Plowin, though, was an expat American Western bar, and it was themed like a cowboy, like the Colorado High Rocky Ranges. And he said people would wear their American ripped sleeve denim jackets and dress like a Yankees for a day, and this was the most fun place in Plowin. Globalization, it's not going to come in the form of a fucking cheeseburger, man. We got to do share your culture via the internet, and then these cooler places are going to open. And it would be much easier if the government supported it if we didn't concede to these anywhere USA, everywhere looking like McDonald's copy-paste. It's lazy. Let's go to chapter 11. Have it your way. This all has to deal with the greater issue, the death of small-town America. It's commercialization. I once saw on a highway in Colorado near the airport somewhere, Chiba Chu adopt a highway sign. <laughs> if you don't know what Chiba Chu is, God bless your soul. It's the best edible on earth. <clears throat> they make all these kinds of little taffies and stuff that get you high. Before you get outraged, educate yourself on the weed taxes. As a state, it was like, this is the most beautiful place on earth. We're the Swiss Alps of America. We want to smoke some weed and enjoy this. And the state was like, okay, well, it's going to cost you 30% on every joint and it'll go to the schools. People were like, that sounds great. Every year, $300 million is raised through cannabis tax for the school system in Colorado. On top of that, there's even more. They're fucking paving our roads. Chiba Chew is getting me high and getting me to the airport. <laughs> the one thing we pay our government to do to maintain the roads, they don't even do that. Our edibles are. Let's look at the alcohol. You go to some Chipotles and they're serving beer. Serve a fucking edible. Just everything, all these systems need to be revamped. That's the tone towards the edge of the book. Slosher profiled Bill Laster, another Colorado rancher who started off at Hamburger University, got his own ranch in Colorado, eventually moved to Argentina to go work with the world's best beef with those guys. He's like, maybe that's the final frontier. Unless you want to sell out to the Conway beef family. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Conway Twitty. Bill Laster called his cows high-altitude, low-anxiety beef. All right, all right. You know a relaxed animal makes for more tender meat. When you uh, get scared and cortisol is in your veins before you die, you have increased rigor mortis. You don't want that. That's the whole thing behind a veal. The most we could do for ourselves, we're not going to stop the terraformation of the earth. Slosher is saying, let's get our kids unaddicted to these chemicals. Let's stop advertising trans fats and sugars to our kids. Let's have higher standards for our own meat. I skimmed over it before, but they're, like you see percent lean. That literally means how much stool is in your beef. How much traces of poop are you okay with these cats? It's fucking dumb, man. Slosher is saying Plauen, that city in Germany, made it through the rise and fall of a Reich, of a Russian empire, and now America. The fast food is going to rise and fall as well. We need to revamp our diet, remember where we came from. Go paleo. Hashtag keto. He ended it on a beef recall. He tried to use a scare tactic at the end of the book. 
He said 19 million pounds of beef are found with E. coli a year and have to be recalled. So you're taking a gamble. He said before, eating chopped meat is as safe as grabbing your meat out of a dumpster. <laughs> That's a pretty good line. But it's getting scary out there, people. Again, we'll be checking in with some of these health-related books. It's one of my favorite topics with the iPad, the iPhone. It's encroaching more into your thought pattern than ever in history. Just the ability to lazily order food. It's too easy right now. It really takes a mindset change to change the way you eat. But when uh, 250,000 people a year are eating themselves to death in this country... Maybe it is time for a mass recognition of what we've been putting in our bodies. And it makes me feel crazy when I'm the only one that's concerned about it. So please share this episode, subscribe to the channel, check out Harry's shit on Instagram for free memes. That was Fast Food Nation. Enjoy those Thanksgivings out there. Just be more conscious of what you eat. Don't let it ruin your meals. Have as much turkey as you want cranberry sauce whatever that flubber like food is <laughs> it's loaded with sugar you could skip that around the table next week is going to be december everybody and we are going to get our themed show up the first week of the month because later in the month is going to have some special bonus experimental content december 2nd i believe is going to be the jeffersonian bible I've joked about having the Bible on the show before. This might be as close as we ever get. Thomas Jefferson, a child of all those enlightenment ideas that we like to hear here. Jefferson synopsized the Bible. He's doing what I did. <laughs> he did Jefferson's nonfiction, the Bible. And he threw out the First Testament, which is all tall tales, maybe cryptic tellings about the rise and fall of governments he synopsized the life of jesus christ from nazareth and this guy was a homie one of the most the first uh virally famous person because he talked about forgiveness truth his ideas could save humanity if you took mushrooms and went to a christian mass that is very much going to be the aura of the show next week thomas jefferson with the jeffersonian bible Keep that diet clean out there. I love you all. I am Nick Muniz. Peace.